Um, go ahead and grab your Bibles if you got them. If you're on a device, you can go to the ESV, which is uh, how you'll track with us, the version that we use here. And uh, you want to go to John chapter 21. So this is our second to last sermon in the book of John. We've been going over a year uh, through this book, and we're going to wrap it up next week. And then we are going to begin our Advent series through 1 Peter chapter 1 uh, for the month of December. So that's a little bit of a snapshot of where we're heading. But you want to go to John 21 today. I was thinking as I was preparing this, I was thinking about the events in our lives. We have these um, kind of before and after things that happen in the course of our lives. We're going to see that a little bit today because we're going to be focused on the story of Peter. But if you guys can even reflect on your own life, you have before and after events, events that completely change your life. It could be a moment where something happens that almost feels insignificant. But then when you look back, you can say, well, there was before that moment and then there was after that moment when everything changed. And um, I remember it was uh, this was a long time ago. This is uh, over 20 years. I don't know. 20 plus years ago. I'm so old, I don't, I don't know time anymore. Um, but I remember it was our daughter's birthday and we were coming back from a day of, you know, birthdaying it up. I think we were at SeaWorld, we're in California. There's this amusement park called SeaWorld. And we're coming back from SeaWorld and we get home, we're living by the beach um, in a condominium uh, that we cannot afford, but we're renting it from my brother-in-law who owns it. And so we're, we're, I mean, we're way, it's, it's way above our pay grade, right? The whole thing, where we're living, we're enjoying it. We'd been there for many years at that time. And we get home and there is, there's a message on our answering machine. I probably need to explain what an answering machine is after saying that. Um, but this was back when we had one of those big phones that you'd plug in, it would stay plugged in. And uh, it's called a landline now. Um, so we get home, we listen to our messages, and there's a message from my brother-in-law, and he says, hey, he goes, so here's the deal, uh, I've sold the condo, and it's time for you guys to get out. And um, it, was a, it was a crazy thing, because you know, we, we just thought we'd be there, I don't know, you know like forever, right? We're, we're young, and we're not really thinking that far into the future. And I remember the, the scramble that we felt. You know, we had this great day with the kiddo, birthday party, you know, petting the dolphins. It was awesome. And then in a minute, it was like, we got to find a place to live. And we didn't know what to do. And so we start scrambling and scrambling. And what happened was, is we ended up moving about an hour east of where we were and um, to a place that we could actually afford and a, and a house that we could actually afford because some people helped us out. And what we didn't know at the time was that that move was the catalyst really for all of the things that happened after that, which even about 10 years after that, we would end up in Ashland. And it was really due, if you trace the story, it was really due to this move, the people that we met, the church that we began attending, the work that the Lord was doing in our hearts and connecting us with this church, drawing us into ministry that led to us uh, eventually landing in Ashland, Ohio, and all of this stuff that's going on all the way to baptizing Carmen Schlatter, right? Man, that was a, that's a brief timeline right there. Um, but it's incredible for us to think, and Melissa and I were reflecting on that this week, of the before and after of that event. It was a, it was a, it was a, it was a message on our answering machine. Little did we know that that was the catalyst for everything to change in our life and for God to do not only a work, but to do a, a restorative work. Uh, in our lives. And what we know about Jesus, one of the Jesus-y things 
about Jesus is that he's constantly doing a restorative work in our hearts. And in fact, in those moments where it feels like nothing's going on, like things couldn't feel less restorative, sometimes those are the times when like the deep work, the deep soil is being tilled. And we see that. We see that this morning in today's passage, which kind of centers around the the before and after, sort of this pivotal moment in the story of Peter and the interesting way that Jesus reunites with him after the shame that happened with his denial, right? Um, Peter, we love Peter. We've learned so much about Peter in the book of John, but Peter, he's he's an ex-fisherman at this point. He was called by Jesus to be one of the 12 disciples. He used to be a fisherman. He used to do something that probably made a little more sense. He used to do something that was probably a little more comfortable, right? But now he's an ex-fisherman. And he makes his way back to the sea, we're going to read here in a second, to do some night fishing with his pals. Thomas, Nathaniel, James, John, a few others. Everything Peter thought his life was going to be had, had changed with the death and the resurrection of Jesus. His three year journey that he had had with Jesus, it it had come to an end. Yes, Jesus had risen, but there was still a Roman king on the throne. And these brothers were still messed up about that, right? And we have to wonder if Peter thought he would return to his old life again as a fisherman. We have to wonder that given what we're gonna read about what he did after the resurrection of Jesus. Whatever is going on in Peter's head and Peter's heart, Jesus meets him one morning on a lonely shore and some things happen that change the course of his life. Let's read about it. John 21, I'm gonna read verses one through 19. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that, it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish for they were not far off from the land, but about a hundred yards off. Verse 9, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, and so with the fish. And this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And verse 15 says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, 
Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk around wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. So as Peter grapples with the life that Jesus has called him to, with all the changes, remember last week we talked about all the unmet expectations, uh, the failures, right? Peter had denied Jesus days earlier, all the disappointments for what might have been. It just wasn't turning out the way they envisioned. For all of that, this is what we're going to look at now, is how do we see Jesus move toward Peter? How do we see Jesus uniquely move toward Peter? And realizing that this is how he moves toward us as well. The first thing that we see in verses 1 through 14 is that he meets Peter in his pain. Jesus meets Peter, but he meets Peter in his pain. How does the Lord do that? How does the Lord meet Peter in his pain? Does he come to him with a selection of Old Testament scripture passages, reminding him of all the things Peter had failed to grasp over the last three years? Does he say, Peter, get out of the boat, man. We have real work to do. What Jesus does is actually so so characteristic of Jesus. It's so Jesus-y, right? He asks his friends because that's what he called them now, remember? When we learned that he said, now I call you friends. He asks his friends if they'd caught any fish. After they give him a hard no, he tells them to go ahead and recast their nets on the right side of the boat. And although they still don't know it's Jesus on the shore, they follow his lead and they end up catching a haul so large that they struggle to bring it all in. So as they, again, picture the visual, as they scramble to get control of the fish, somehow in that moment, John's eyes, the the disciple that Jesus loves, as he likes to refer to himself, I don't know, um, John's eyes are open And he sees that the man who gave them all the fishing advice is actually Jesus himself. It is the Lord, he says. Then you gotta love Peter's response. Peter immediately, I don't know, puts his clothes on, dives in the water, and swims to shore, which is what I usually do when I take a dip, right? Get fully clothed. Um, Actually, what we wanna understand about that, just on a side note, is these guys would be stripped down almost to nothing when they were fishing. And so when Peter saw the Lord as a sign of respect, he's like, I gotta put on some clothes. I know they're gonna be dripping wet, but I I gotta put something on as I swim to be present with the Lord. So he did it as a sign of reverence, as a sign of respect. I don't think we should miss that even in the shame of the aftermath of his denial, Peter is eager to reunite with Jesus. 
That tells you something about the heart of Peter. That tells you about something about the work that Jesus had done in the heart of Peter. That even in that, Peter was still eager to get close to Jesus, even while his clothes are dripping wet on the shore, facing Jesus. This time, it's a little bit different though. He doesn't try to walk on water towards Jesus, but he dives in the water with abandon to get near to Jesus. What we see here from Peter is we see a brother who is maturing. We see a brother who is growing, which is what happens to a person when they've been humbled to the degree that Peter has been humbled, right? And we see when Peter gets to shore, get this, Jesus, the resurrected savior of the world is cooking breakfast. Cooking breakfast. Of all the things you may have thought the king of the universe would do after dying and rising from the dead, you probably wouldn't think cooking up some bread and fish on the grill would be one of them. Like you don't have that on your bingo card as the kids like to say, right? But this shows us something about Jesus that we often miss in his relationship, in his exchange with Peter and his disciples, which is that he meets us. He meets us in our pain. He meets us in our mess. He meets us as people whose minds are all over the place. We're dripping wet. We're standing there. We got nothing. And he meets us. He meets us in our state. He meets us in our pain. With not just, listen to this, with not just spiritual help, but every kind of help. We don't have a need that is too small for Jesus. And that's what makes him so big, right? To Jesus, it's not only important that Peter is restored spiritually, which Peter is already on that path. It's also important that Peter gets some food. Dude's been up all night. Dude wasn't catching any fish. He's hungry. He's exhausted. Jesus cares about that. Jesus grilling bread and fish over a charcoal fire for his exhausted disciples is a thing that is not too small for us to behold because it's a big thing. It's an act of kindness. It's an act of care. It's an act of friendship. It's an act of awareness, right? So we should think about Jesus and some of the Jesus-y things that Jesus has done and is doing in our lives. What are some of those things for you in your life, right? Can you envision him inviting you to share a good meal? Can you envision that? Is, is that your view of Jesus? Is that how you think about Christ? Or do you think of him as someone who could only be interested in teaching you another lesson or, or who is just mildly annoyed because, oh my gosh, you're still not getting it. Do you envision Jesus as being the one standing on the shore of your life as you swim tired, exhausted, and dripping wet and him just saying, I got some food for you. Is that the Jesus that you have envisioned in your mind and in your heart. If you're like me, you're quick to ask, isn't the Lord more concerned about Peter's spiritual hunger 
over his physical hunger? Maybe. But Jesus meets his people in all the places that matter to his people. Right? Come and have breakfast. Those are the words of Jesus, by the way. Come and have breakfast. Can you imagine Jesus saying that to you? Because he does. He cares about all of you. He meets you in your pain. John 14, 23, we, we went through this weeks ago. But remember Jesus saying this, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and do what? Make our home with him. Come and have breakfast, Jesus is saying. Jesus is modeling what it means to be a disciple to his disciples. He is modeling how we are to meet people in their pain with tangible, physical help without shortchanging, spiritual guidance, spiritual encouragement. It's all part of how people are restored. Remember James, the brother of Jesus, in his, in his letter, remember he wrote this. He said, look, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Jesus moves toward his disciples. He meets Peter in his pain and shows us how the church is meant to provide for one another. This is the Jesus that you have inviting you in your life to come and eat breakfast. The second way we see Jesus move towards Peter is that he assures Peter of his love. He assures Peter of his love. And he does this in an unusual way. He does it by asking Peter questions about the love that Peter has for him. In this way, what we actually see happening is that Jesus is showing Peter, displaying to Peter, reassuring Peter of the love that he has for him. He asks Peter if he loves him three times after they finish eating by the fire, which is interesting given the fact that Peter denied him three times by a courtyard fire. Peter answers Jesus in the affirmative every time. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But by the third time, Jesus asks, we can kind of get from the language here and the, the tone of the text, Peter becomes grieved by the question. And so he responds in verse 17. He says, Lord, you know everything. He said, you know that I love you. And it's like Peter is saying, Jesus, I haven't lost my faith. I believe that you are God. And because you are God, you already know what's in my heart. You already know everything that there is to know about me. But it's a hard question for Peter to answer like it would be a hard question for us to answer, right? It was a hard question for Peter to answer. It's like he's saying, why do you keep reminding me of how I failed, Jesus? And I wonder if Jesus did that to remind Peter that his love for Peter was not dependent on Peter's lack of love for him in that dark moment when he denied him. 
It was a beautiful way for Jesus to assure Peter of his unchanging love for him. Jesus isn't asking Peter to prove his love by feeding and tending his sheep. He is reminding Peter that all the ministry ahead for Peter comes second to his love for Peter. It's because of his great love that he gives Peter second chances. It's because of his great love for us that he comes to us. And sometimes we're just kind of stopped in our tracks and we look at our lives and we look at some of the ways that we screwed up or we failed the Lord. And it's almost like we can hear the words of the Lord coming to us saying, do you even love me? Do you even love me? And what we see is that that's an act of kindness through the conviction and the questioning of the Holy Spirit in our lives to remind us that although we do this and we waver, the one who is asking the question, do you love me, hasn't wavered for a second in his love for us. And that's what we're meant to be brought back to, which is what Peter is being brought back to here. In Psalm 130, verses 3, the psalmist writes, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities or sin, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. What Peter was experiencing in this moment with Jesus questioning him about his love was a reaffirmation that he was loved, that he was forgiven. And so it causes us to step back and ask the question of whether we need to be reassured of the love of Jesus for us today. And by the way, that's more of a statement than a, than a question because the answer is, of course you do. Of course I do. Whatever you've done or are doing that you think puts your love for Jesus in question, we always know that the love Jesus has for us is never in question. And we always know that there is a path forward for us like there was for Peter who had to put his outer garment on, who had to dive into that murky water and swim across the shore to get back to where Jesus was. Jesus hadn't gone anywhere, right? We get this really interesting verse again from James chapter four, verses eight. And he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. James just, just doesn't, you know, doesn't, he doesn't get cute. Um, he said, be wretched and mourn and weep. He said, let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Like at that point, I'm like, should I even be reading the book of James, right? And then he, he finishes the, these, four, these three passages with this. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you, right? So to be lifted up, to be raised up means that we have to go down. We have to, we have to get low, right? Peter was getting low before the Lord. And he had done some stuff. Most of us are not going to deny Peter as blatantly as Peter did. And by the way, if, if we do, it's probably not going to be recorded in some book that's going to be a bestseller for like the rest of time. Right? How would you like that? Right? 
But what happened with Peter was that it brought him low. What happened with Peter is that he was growing and maturing. And what he needed in that moment was to be assured of Jesus's presence, Jesus's love in his life. And you know what Jesus did in that moment? As Peter was swimming to the shore in that murky water, Jesus was ready to give those things to Peter because Peter had been humbled and Jesus was going to exalt Peter. Jesus's love for you does not rise and fall based on your love for him. If we bring ourselves low before the Lord, he will lift us up. He already knows all things. Isn't it amazing that Peter affirmed that of Jesus? Jesus, you already know me. That was a humble statement. That was Peter lowering himself into the trenches, deep into the sand before the feet of Jesus. Jesus, you know all things. It's, it's almost like saying, you're asking me things that you already know. You are the almighty God. You already know all things. He knows all things. He already knows when you are going to sin. You're all going to sin today. I probably won't. which was just a sin. <laughs> but you're all gonna sin today, and it's interesting to me, and terrifying, he already knows. He already knows what you're gonna do. He already knows how you're going to sin, he already knows how you're going to fail him in the future, like Peter, and yet he's still meeting you in your pain on the shore of your life to reassure you of his love if you draw near to him like Peter did. What's the message here? The message here is to lean into his love like Peter. Yes, he wants you to consider your call. Yes, he wants you to consider your service to the church, to the Lord. But his love is what lays the foundation for that to happen in a way that gives him glory and lifts you up rather than wiping you out. That's the priority. Jesus emphasizes love not because there isn't work to do, but because there is work to do. Here's the third and final thing we see as Jesus moves towards Peter. As he calls Peter back to the mission field. Three times Jesus says, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Jesus is reminding Peter that his call is not to go back to fishing on the night sea. That's a hobby for Peter now. His call is to be a fisher of men who gives himself away on the sea of life. That's Peter's new call. And by the way, this is not just a call for, for people like Peter who are in vocational ministry. Jesus is always calling us back. He's always calling the church back to the mission field. He's always reminding us that we are, we're no longer part of the kingdom of the world, but we've been saved and sent out to be ambassadors of the kingdom of God. The thing is, is that he prepares us for the work the way he prepared Peter through the work, through hardships, through epic failures, through unmet expectations, and through bitter disappointments. That's the testing field for the Christian so that we continue to be prepared, we continue to be restored so that we can continue to be sent out to the mission field and for you, your mission field might be just across the street from your house. Your mission field might be the backyard of your house as you're peeking over 
and getting to know your neighbor. So when we say mission, let's remember that we're talking about a missional way of living. We're not talking about just going overseas, although that matters too and that needs to happen and that's important. Here's what's interesting. Peter would someday write a letter to churches who were experiencing suffering and he was able to encourage them because of his own failures, because of his own hardships. First Peter 5, 9, he writes, he says, he says uh, resist him, resist the devil, resist temptations. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And then he says this, after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. How on earth did Peter get to a place where he was able to write that? Was it because of what's happening right now on the shore with Jesus? Is it because of what happened through the epic failure of denying Jesus three times? Did it happen through all of those years with Jesus where, he, where Peter just, it seemed like he just talked too much. He made blunder after blunder. I mean, all the stuff that's not even written about that we don't know. Like we have no idea what kind of stuff this guy was just, uh, was, was, was uh, involved in with Jesus. And we only have to imagine. We just see the few things that are recorded and we go, oh, thank you, Lord, that there's a Peter, you know, because now I, I, feel like, I feel like I can endure the Christian life knowing, you know, how I fail. We probably don't even see the half of it. But Peter gives us a clue in his letter when he says, the God of all grace who has called you will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish. The other thing to recognize here at the very end is that Jesus tells Peter that he's not going to have an easy road and that his call to ministry will end in martyrdom. Somehow, it will all be worth it. How will it all be worth it for Peter? Well, when we go back to verse 12, it tells us. It says, they knew it was the Lord. At some point, their eyes were reopened to the truth and the beauty and the glory and the reassurance of the resurrected Jesus. They knew it was the Lord. They knew. That's why Peter would be able to endure his life and the hardships and the trials and the future failures. To know the Lord is to know his love to be restored by his love, to be restored to his love. That's the story of Peter. That's really the story of all of us in all kinds of different, unique, and diverse ways. We need to reflect on all the Jesus-y ways that he is breaking us down, that he is building us up that he is bringing us closer to him in the process. Listen to this. Jesus is set on redeeming every detail of your life. Some of those details are going to get a little more redeemed before you see him in glory. But he is set on redeeming it all. Every detail. Why? Because he knows all things. Now that's terrifying if you don't know Jesus. But it's comforting because you can know Jesus. And if you do know Jesus, you realize that just like Peter, although you're going to have those moments 
when you are swimming through that murky water and you're looking around and you, the water is in your eyes and the, and the sun is still coming up and it, the light is still low and you can't see him and you can't see the friends that are behind you, but you know that he is there and you know that he is always in the place where he is available for you to meet you in your pain, to reassure you of his love, to send you back out on the mission field. So we gotta reflect on those things. All the things that haven't gone your way, the Lord makes a way. All the words you can't take back, like Peter, the Lord speaks words of deliverance and forgiveness over you. All the mistakes that you've made, the Lord gives you second chances, like Peter. What does restoration look like? It looks a lot like Peter, moving toward Jesus with abandon. And so the question for us is what's stopping us from moving towards Jesus? By the way, who is already standing right now on the shore of your life, wherever you are? And what's he gonna say when you get there? Come and eat. Jesus is saying to you, come and be restored, be confirmed, be strengthened, be established. This is who I am. I am the Lord. Amen? Amen. Can I pray? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this story uh, that you included in Scripture about your time with the Apostle Peter. And it's such a, an encouraging account for us to read, Lord. It gives us a lot of hope to see the way that you restored, confirmed, strengthened, and established him for the work that lied ahead for him, the hard work that lied ahead for him. Lord, it's encouraging and comforting for us to know that you work with the Peters of the world, of whom we are all, we are all the Peters of the world. Lord, the compassion that you showed him, the patience, how you met him in his pain, how you assured him of his love, how you called him back to mission, Lord, we pray for those things today in our lives as we, many of us, are swimming through the murky waters, getting to a shore, wondering if you are there waiting for us, praying that your words will be words of comfort and not condemnation. And Lord, for those of us who know you, when we read these words, we can be assured that you are there to receive us and to remind us and restore us. And Lord, if there's anybody here today that does not yet have that relationship with you. They have not committed their lives to you. They have not seen the depth of their sin. They have not lowered themselves, gone before you in humility and asked for forgiveness and become part of the family and the kingdom of God. Lord, we pray that you do a work there. We don't know how you do that work, but we know it's through your Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, we pray to you right now that you would do that work in some of the hearts and minds of those here today that have maybe been standing on a boat and maybe it's time for them to swim across that water to the shore where you are waiting and welcoming and inviting. You said, come and eat. And so Lord, help us to 
be reminded yet again today, Lord, that you are invitational. You say, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. So Lord, we pray for the salvation of those who have not yet trusted you for their salvation. We pray for those of us who have, Lord, that you would continue to humble us. You would continue to remind us of your love and your grace and your mercy, which you have an abundance to give us as we go through some of the dark valleys of this life. Lord, thank you for the good news of the gospel that we got to see expressed by Carmen today. Lord, thank you for her testimony. Thank you for the encouragement that that brings us. It reminds us of the truth of the good news of Jesus. We don't have to live and to die in our sins, Lord. You sent your son to be our righteousness. So Lord, we thank you for the work that you have done in Carmen's life. I pray that you would do more of that work. I pray that we would see more of these baptisms. Lord, I pray that we would be a church that is seeking after you, that is drawing near to you as you draw near to us. And we thank you that this is the work that you do. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.